at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years, no interest, plus five months, no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. It's one of these examples of the sort of subtle bias that you get in the, the news media. I'm looking at Milwaukee Sentinel JS Online. Okay, and here's the top headlines. So one says Alex Lazary. Lazary is the son of the Bucks owner who looks in the mirror and wants to be a U.S. senator, and he's got more money than God, and especially, I guess, the family has more money than God. And so he, he's running as one of the people who hope to uh, be the Democratic challenger to Ron Johnson or whoever ends up getting the Republican nomination. And so the headline is Alex Lazary calls for expanding voting rights, banning gerrymandering. Okay, that that that's fine. That's actually, you know, he put out a statement that that's that's what he's running on. He wants to expand voting rights. He wants to ban gerrymandering. All right, same same website. Scroll down a little bit. So it's Alex Lazary proposes he calls for expanding voting rights, banning gerrymandering. Same website. Scroll down a little bit. The headline is Republicans pose propose law enforcement measures in line with 2022 election focus. So in other words, okay, it's it's all about this is about the election. This is what it is. It's it's not we're not going to talk about the issues here. The headline is there those those Republicans, they're just doing it because they want to get elected. Actually, if you look at the story, here here's what the story says. Republicans propose measures to recruit officers, preserve no-knock search warrants, teach children how to interact with police. Um, yeah, I, I don't know about you. I think those are all really, really good things. Start a new legislative session with, let's put bills that aimed at recruiting police officers, prohibiting bans on no-knock search warrants, teaching children how to interact with the police. I think that's all a really, really good thing. But you read the headline on the website and the implication is, oh, this is just in line with the election. They're doing it because they want to get reelected. But when Democrats talk about the issues, Alex Lazary, oh, it's proposed. It's gerrymandering. That's what we're going to do. Expanding voting rights. But the Republicans, it's law enforcement measures to simply help them get reelected. Give me a break. Hey, let's circle back on something we talked about in this segment of the program yesterday. Um, you, you have this horrific story from the other night. Ten fifteen in the evening, 16-year-old girl working as a cashier at a Burger King drive through on about 51st and Capitol, not that very, not that far from where I'm sitting now. And, and we all know the story. What happened is somebody goes through the drive through and you see pictures of this, this character who leans in out of his car through the drive through window. He's got a gun in his hand. He apparently fire shots, hits, and kills the 16-year-old girl and then drives off. Now, we spent about 20 minutes yesterday, if you missed the show, talking about how just absolutely appalled I am at the fact that this case has not been solved yet. And I say appalled, not at the Milwaukee Police Department, but the fact is there are very, very good surveillance camera photographs showing the shooter. All right. And, and I understand it's a guy who, who's wearing a, a red hoodie that's kind of pulled down over his face and he's got a, one of the masks on. So you, you can't get a good look at his face. But 
They know he was driving a, a black Chevy Impala. They have a, a rough idea of his build. They know, um, again, there's pictures all over about the hoodie he was wearing. And my point was, I have no doubt in my mind that there are a number of people in the community who know exactly who this murderous thug is and apparently have been reluctant thus far to come forward or to give him up. And I thought, you know, we are never going to solve the violence problem in this community if people decide that, well, there's no snitching culture. Well, okay, yes, there's a 16-year-old girl that got killed, but, you know, we're we're not going to snitch. We're not going to cooperate with authorities. And there is an element of that that's operating because, again, you will never convince me that there are not a number of people who know exactly who this guy was. Well, the development, and, and by the way, the family of the victim is calling for the community to come forward. Elected officials are calling for the community to come forward. You know, in Milwaukee, you had almost 200 homicides last year, and as it stands now, I think probably only about 50% were, were cleared, that is solved. And that's in large measure, number one, because of the volume of the homicides, but number two, it is because people are not cooperating with police. And the truth of the matter is, you get the community you want to live in. And for people who know who this guy is, if you are comfortable with allowing a 16-year-old girl to be murdered on 51st and Capitol, and you have relevant information information and you for whatever reason decided that you're not going to come forward well well shame on you well the development is apparently the police have made an arrest now this it's not the shooter they've arrested a 38 year old woman and the, the charges they are looking at are obstructing the investigation and, and I don't know exactly what that means. There's all sorts of ways that you can obstruct an investigation. And they say they're still trying to find additional suspects for the homicide and for a, a robbery. So they, they don't believe that the woman who is in custody is the person who was the actual shooter. And, and of course, we know she wasn't because we have a, a photograph of the person who was, in fact, the shooter. But apparently authorities have a very strong basis for believing, number one, that this woman knows who the shooter was, and number two, that the woman has done affirmative things to obstruct the investigation, to which you want to say, there's a 16-year-old girl that's dead, and, and, and you're obstructing the investigation. The good news about this is that apparently... My, my sense would be that the police have a good idea as to who it is that they are looking for. So maybe maybe more people in the community will feel, I don't know, free or feel it appropriate to come forward and start cooperating and give the police the information they need to make an arrest to get this murderer off the street. Now, during our phone calls yesterday, some people were suggesting that folks out there, there's people who know, but maybe they're waiting to see if Burger King posts a reward or something like that, to which I would say, I certainly hope that that's not the case, because you would think at some point in time, look, I understand money is a huge motivator, but you would think that when there's a 16-year-old girl who has been murdered, if you have relevant information to share that you wouldn't have to wait to see, gee, are, are they going to give me a cash reward if I make that phone call? Um, if, if people are actually out there thinking that, the response to that would be shame on you as well. Okay, when we come back, I want to share with you uh, an email I received from a physician in southeastern Wisconsin, and we're going to use that as the launching point for discussion. Stick around. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back. All right. Let me do a little introduction to this topic, because whenever I go into the COVID round and talk about vaccinations, there's there's people out there and you know who you are who only hear what it is that you want to hear. And so I always get these texts. Oh, you just want to see people die and have, you no responsibility and stuff like that. And 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 it's because, again, people have these certain mindsets and they hear what they they want to hear. There is no question in my mind that the when we first developed the vaccines, they were extremely effective in, number one, stopping people from getting COVID. And number two, if somebody did become one of those rare breakthrough cases and they were rare, it prevented you in all likelihood from having to be hospitalized and dying. So very, but it, so it had a twofold approach. Stop people from getting COVID, stop people from having severe consequences. And I think the vaccines were extremely effective against the first round of COVID and the Delta variant in dealing with both of those situations. Well, now we've got this new variant that is sweeping the world. And I, I'm actually, I'm convinced that vaccinated, boosted, whatever, I'm convinced that, that at some point in time, we're all going to get it, that this new variant, and maybe a lot of us have already had it, because if you're vaccinated and boosted, 40% of the people that get COVID, apparently they're, they're asymptomatic. They don't even know that they've had it. So please hear me. I'm vaccinated. I'm boosted. I think everybody should do it. With the newest, though, variant, it seems to me that the, the reality is it stops you from being hospitalized in all likelihood. It stops you from dying, which makes it worthwhile. But it's not necessarily going to stop you from getting COVID. And I think, I don't know about you, but I've said this before. In the last month, I know more people, age ranges 17 through their 80s, who have been vaccinated, boosted, had COVID, and and yet they, they've come down again with this new variant. Now, the good news, in, and I know more people in the last month that have had COVID than had had it in the previous year and a half. Now, the good news in all those cases is the people I know have all been vaccinated and or boosted, and even some people who would be in like these high-risk categories that got COVID, the, the, the symptoms were incredibly mild or almost non-existent. So that, that's, why, that's why you want to get vaccinated. And because it it protects you from getting really, really sick. I think the reality now, though, is if if we're trying to say it's going to protect you from getting this new variant in the first place, I don't know if science can continue to make that claim. It's not saying that the vaccines aren't worthwhile, because at the end of the day, we don't want to overwhelm the hospital system. And and even look, I, I don't know about you, but if the choice is gee, I can get a cold, and I know COVID's not a cold, but I can get a mild cold where I, I may may be uncomfortable for a day or two, or I can get a double pneumonia case where I'm in the hospital and I'm on life support. Well, I, I, I'm going to opt for the mild cold. So that's why you want to continue to get the vaccines. But I wonder if we need to start to change the messaging, given the fact that this Omicron variant continues to infect people vaccinated, unvaccinated and everybody in between. All right. But there's no question that if you are not vaccinated, you are at much greater risk of having a bad outcome. 
Uh, to that extent, there's a story in the Washington Post about Emmanuel Macron. He's the French president, and he's apparently had enough of, of people who aren't vaccinated. He gives this interview the other day, and I am quoting this. This is his comments, not mine. This is what the French president says. He says, I am not for pissing off the French. However, the unvaccinated, I really want to piss them off. This is the president. That's what he says. I'm not going to throw the unvaccinated in prison. I'm not going to get them vaccinated by force, but we need to put pressure on the unvaccinated by limiting their access to social activities as much as possible. So he's saying, okay, that's why we're going to do this. We're going to try to say that you can't go into restaurants. You can't go out to society. We're going to do all these things because we want to put pressure on you to get vaccinated, not necessarily because it's going to stop you from spreading the disease, but it's going to stop you from taking up hospital space that would otherwise be used by the person that has the heart attack or the person that needs the cancer treatment or whatever. Which brings me to an email I received last night from one of our listeners. Let me share a sort of edited purpose, and I'm I'm not going to identify the person even though they, they signed their name. Jeff, my wife and I listen to you whenever we can. Thank you. We are both in healthcare. I am a physician with, and, and he identifies, it's, it's a large hospital group in Wisconsin. I'm a physician with this large hospital group, and my wife is a nurse practitioner with another local medical organization. We continually worry about the availability of hospital beds. We are both vaccinated and feel that vaccinated people who become sick and require a hospital bed should be able to supplant an unvaccinated COVID patient from their bed in order to receive care for themselves. Obviously, this prevents presents a very moral issue, but the vaccinated individuals in our society have done everything possible to minimize the strain on health care. In our opinions, if someone that is vaccinated arrives to an emergency room with an acute um, Maya, MI, heart attack, stroke, perforated bowel, kidney failure, or even COVID themselves, they deserve the bed over an unvaccinated individual. We are both afraid someone will eventually drive their car through the front doors of an emergency room out of anger because of the lack of bed availability. Or alternatively, maybe we need to reopen a field hospital and put all that unvaccinated people there. Just our two cents. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think we, we now, I think we could hopefully, we could all agree that if you are unvaccinated and you get this latest variant, and like I say, I, I think we're all going to get it at some point in time, the likelihood that you are going to have a, a bad outcome is significantly greater than if you are, in fact, vaccinated. So as one doctor says, look, I, I just think that we need to start giving priorities. We're not saying you don't treat the COVID patients, but if you are unvaccinated, do you go into a second class? Do you get bumped from your hospital beds? Do we create a field hospital? Go back and open the stuff up at State Fair Park, but the only people who get sent to that are the people who are unvaccinated. 855-616-1620. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, here's a text, Jeff. What they're talking about would be the start of a civil war. Are we as a society going to deny services to overweight people? Well, of course, I guess the response would be, if you want to go down this route, 
be, being overweight is a condition which was caused by by years and years of behavior, and, and it might not even be you know your your own fault. For example, um, the vaccination is something that can be taken care of by one or or two trips to to a pharmacy or to a doctor's office. So I, I don't know if the obesity thing really holds true. But but do we should we start creating a two tiered alternative or? Interestingly, I, I thought what the doctor said was, all right, maybe as long as we're in the middle of this pandemic, maybe the answer is, again, put that overflow hospital. Let, let's put it back at State Fair where we had it. But maybe this is the thing. That's where you send the unvaccinated people, you know, once you reach a critical mass. So we're not bumping people who, again, need to be treated for a heart attack or something like that. 855-616-1620. Scott in South Milwaukee. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, this is a very good. This is a very good topic, and I just happened to be talking with my friends um, a couple of days a, a couple of days ago about this topic at, at a bar out in Las Vegas. So, my take on and what I said to my friends is that I wish that the CDC would issue guidelines, whatever, basically stating whatever that that if you are unvaccinated and you present yourself to the hospital, whatever with symptoms of COVID that you will have that your priority for treatment will be will, will be at a status lower than somebody who is vaccinated or somebody who's in there with a heart attack or a broken leg or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the rationale behind it is that we have been in this pandemic now for two going on three going on three years now. Everybody has access to information. They know the risks, they know the rewards um, for not getting vaccinated. And I just think that we that the unvaccinated that they need to be made an example of to basically say that the behavior that their behaviors are not acceptable in that by them failing to um comply with the normality that this is their penalty so you would so treat this if i was trying to find a parallel you would treat this maybe for somebody who's on a, a transplant list for a liver transplant who is uh a, who is has, has damaged their liver by drinking and who, for example, refuses to stop drinking. You'd say, okay, and, and just like, I mean, they do prioritize people there. And if you've got somebody who's, I'm pretty sure I'm right about this, who, for example, refuses to change the behaviors, they're going to get bumped to the bottom of the liver transplant list. So you would treat it kind of like that. Yes, exactly. Good enough. Thanks for call. I appreciate it. We're going to pick it up right there. 855-616-1620. Now, this is very controversial because, of course, doctors take the Hippocratic Oath where they're, they're, they're required to provide services to people. At the same time, we, we do, we always have triage. I mean, that, you ever watch the TV show MASH? I mean, that's it. They get the helicopters that come in with the, the wounded patients and, and, you know, and they, they, they do a triage thing. They, they say, okay, can we help this person? Can we not help that person? This person can wait. That person can't wait. All right, wh- what is the role of the unvaccinated, if there is any? Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Wondering what 2022 will have in store? Join WTMJ a week from today, Wednesday, January 12th, for a day-long broadcast on the topics that impact your everyday life. Politics, the economy, health, and more. Hear from big-name guests like Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers and Milwaukee Mayor Cavalier Johnson. It's WTMJ 2022 on January 12th from 9 in the morning till 6 in the evening. Presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by the Bartolotta Restaurants. For more information, go to WTMJ.com. Yeah, the two segments I'm going to be 
actually moderating our on health and the economy. And this might be a question that we we address to to the panel. I, if if you're just tuning in, here's the deal. I, I got an email last evening from a, a listener who is a physician with one of the big medical groups in southeastern Wisconsin, whose wife is also a nurse practitioner at another big medical group. And paraphrasing it, his suggestion was, look, our hospitals are being overwhelmed. What I think should happen is we should essentially create a two-tier system, which is when the hospitals are full, if you've got people who are in the hospital being treated for COVID and they are unvaccinated, they essentially get moved out. And I don't know where they, they get moved out, but they don't get to take the place of a vaccinated person who needs COVID treatment. And that's going to be a rare case. Or they don't get to take the place of somebody who I don't needs heart surgery or has kidney failure or whatever who can't get in and get a bed because somebody is unvaccinated and is taking that. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Here's a couple texts before we go back to the phone lines. Jeff, I agree with this. Actions have consequences. You are free to make your choice, but you are not free of consequences. My heart aches for the kids I read about whose mom will most likely die because she can't get life-saving surgery um, due to UW ICU being too full of COVID. Why should she die? Um, because someone most likely not chose to get the vaccine. How could you live with that? Or it appears that we don't necessarily care. Now, the flip side of this is, Jeff, this idea is horrifying. This us and them two-tiered society we are establishing is absolutely terrifying. 855-616-1620. Dan in Kenosha. Dan, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks. Um, Hi. Uh, your, your screener made a very good point. Um, my, my initial um, answer would be absolutely not. Um, you, you have to treat every case in um, w- with uh, the level of risk and, and the need at the time, regardless if it's COVID or, or a heart patient. Um, but it depends on how you look at it. Is the person needing the bed your loved one, or is the person getting the boot your loved one? Yeah, so sure. I, I, I can go on e- either side. But uh, in the U.S., we, we are not a preventive medicine. Um, we don't have a focus on preventive medicine. Um, I think it would, if, and, and COVID is a choice, and not, not necessarily to the typhoid Mary level, but if if you don't get vaccinated, you're at a higher risk of impacting other people. Yes. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I see arguments, but I think society as a society, we've failed um, as a whole because we, we could have stopped this or, or really slowed it down. Mm-hmm. More people that are vaccinated, the virus can't survive. So um, there, there's this isn't a simple answer, but um I, I think to your previous subject, uh, I don't think this is the way to it would right. probably be effective to compel people to get vaccinated, but this isn't the way to compel people to get vaccinated. Yeah, th- thanks for the call. I, and and I, I agree with you, by the way. I, I guess I, first of all, I think, you know, we, we talked about this years ago. There's always been this conversation about, like, death panels. And, you know, we're, we're going to make decisions, okay, you know, you get to live and, and you get to, to die. And, you know, and look, and I understand that some of these decisions get made on a, as to healthcare get made on a regular basis. If you've got a 92 year old woman with dementia who falls and breaks her hip, 
and because of the dementia, they're not going to be able to go through rehab. Well, it's quite likely that somebody might say, "Okay, well, we're not going to we're not we're not going to fix we're not going to do a complete hip replacement because the person's just not capable of going through. It's it's different than if you have a a 54 year old person who you know is capable of going through the rehab. So we we always kind of make those balancing, and it's a very very difficult moral issue from the perspective of doctors and nurses. I don't think they have any choice. I think you know that you somebody presents and they're ill, you have to treat them, and I, I don't think that that changes with COVID or not. Now I do think that if this continues, if this surge continues, and and maybe maybe I'm just drinking the, the silver line in Kool-Aid. I tend to think that what we're seeing right now is the very worst of this. And I'll, I actually, I'm, I'm going to ask this question to the doctors next week when we, the medical professionals, when we do this, because I, I think what's, what's happening is you are seeing this explosion of the, this new Omicron, you know, variant that's there. I think you're seeing an inordinate amount of people that are, are getting COVID and then Thankfully, if again, I just saw the numbers, about 66%, for example, Wisconsinites have been have received their vaccinations and about 45% of those have also received boosters. So in the good news is that, you know, people are, are getting this and then they're going to develop some degree of immunity to this. And, and so hopefully there is light at the end of the tunnel because maybe in a month or two, everybody's going to be in a situation where you've either had it or you've developed some sort of natural immunity to it or you're not going to get it. And, and then it's going to become, what's the word they use, endemic. It's going to be more like a cold or more like the seasonal flu or something like that. So I, I tend to think maybe we're, we're at the worst right now. And so we got to figure out measures to do it. Do I think you can deny treatment or do I think you should deny treatment based on simply the fact that somebody has made a decision not to get vaccinated? My answer would be no. I I don't think you, you can do that. I don't think you should do it. Now, here's one of the things that I think should be on the table, though. I think that if if this continues to overwhelm the hospital system or if it gets to a point where it truly is overwhelming the hospital system, then I think you do have to look at alternatives. And maybe one of those practical alternatives is not to say you're not going to get treated if you get COVID, but yeah, we, we are going to open up the facility. We're going to reopen the facility at State Fair Park, for example, or wherever you choose to say it. And we're going to take the public money and we're going to invest in this and and we're going to staff it however we're going to staff it. Now, that's a whole different issue, but that's that's going to be where people go with COVID. We're not going to fill up the the ICU beds of a a small rural hospital. We're not going to say to people, you can't get your cancer treatment. We're not going to say to people that, hey, you you can't go in for your your stent, you know, for your your, your bypass, for your your heart operation because of of COVID. It's going to be, okay, we're we're going to set up these separate areas, and and that's going to be how we deal with COVID. Now, again, I appreciate that you know where you're going to come up with the staffing is a different issue, but but maybe that's what the state's responsibility and role is: providing these overflow facilities or providing the COVID designated area. So you okay, we're going to make sure people get treated regardless of whether they're vaccinated or not. Although the vast majority of people who are going to end up in this facility are in fact going to be unvaccinated. So you you do give incentive. For people, and I get these texts. By the way, I also appreciate the fact that there's some people who are arguing. Well, there's a there's a percentage of people who can't get vaccinated because of health issues, and I get that. But that's a very very small percentage. That's 
That's a microscopic number of, of the overall people. The vast majority of people who have decided not to get vaccinated have made that decision themselves that they're not going to get vaccinated. And, you know, I don't think that the government should be dragging you out of your houses and forcing, you know, a shot in your arm. Um, I, I just I don't believe that that is the government's role. But I, I do think if you make that decision, there have to be some consequences. One of the consequences being not that you don't get treated. I don't think doctors can sit there and just let you die if you're you know seriously ill. But I do think maybe this is one where you have that overflow hospital or something saying, OK, this, this is where the covid patients are, are going, particularly for if if I am correct and a lot of the analysts are correct and believing that, okay, this is the surge that we have now and this will get better in the next, you know, few weeks or the next month or two after pretty much everybody has had it and it's gone through the population. Let's talk to Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? Well, it's a extremely tough issue. Um, my knee-jerk reaction was to say, yeah, if you didn't get vaccinated, you should um, be treated differently. And then I did think about the Hippocratic Oath, and that's a very solemn oath. And I don't think too many doctors would turn down anyone. But that being said, I also believe in a triage system. And if everyone is in the same facility, then it should be based on the seriousness. If there is somebody with another condition other than COVID, and it's more serious than COVID, that person should be treated first. I do like your idea about having a separate facility for COVID patients, because that's what we did before. Um, and I think that worked fairly well. Um, so mm-hmm. that's, those are my points. Yeah, no, that, it, it, it is a difficult, that, it's one of the reasons I thought this whole thing was so intriguing. And, it, and it's a difficult situation. And by the way, I, I understand the frustration. It's why I started off this conversation by by, by quoting the, the French president who's doing these interviews saying, you know, he, how, how angry he is that people are making this decision not to get vaccinated. And he wants to do everything he can to punish those people who aren't vaccinated. And that's that's what he's saying. He's saying, look, I want to make life as difficult as I possibly can for you in an effort to try to force you to get vaccinated. So I, I understand the frustration that is out there that people who are vaccinated have with the vast majority of people who are unvaccinated who are unvaccinated willingly again i'm accepting the people who from from that comment who who don't are medically unable to get it but at the same time i I don't think we can create a full two-tiered system and if you know somebody who's made the decision to get unvaccinated can you imagine if all of a sudden they're told okay well here you know you're on a ventilator or whatever but we've got somebody who's just had a heart attack boom you know we're figure out what to do with them we're going to kick them to the curb so we can make room for the person with the heart attack i don't think in the real world that's the type of thing that that works so maybe the compromise is what we're talking about which is kind of like the the, the triage sort of thing or yeah this is we are setting up a separate area a separate facility when the hospitals get overwhelmed this is going to be where that overflow goes and i also appreciate you've got an issue with with where's the staffing going to come from you know what happens if you have the doctors and nurses who say we we refuse to we we refuse to work at the at the covid facility you know and, and i don't know that that would really happen but i appreciate that there's some mechanics that have to be worked out but i i, I there's got to be a way of balancing this because we, we can't say to people having heart attacks or who need emergency treatment because of kidney failure or whatever that you're, we're going to deny you those services just because we're full 
and we're full in some regards because people have made the decision not to get vaccinated. You have to increase, I guess, the capacity. And if increasing the capacity means, all right, let, let's look at reopening something at State Fair Park. Well, Republicans in the legislature, Governor Evers, maybe that's something you need to do. Now, I don't know that the hospitalization numbers are quite at that point where you have to do that. But if this gets worse instead of better over the next couple of weeks, maybe you do need to do that because you can't deny care to people regardless of whether it's COVID vaccinated, COVID unvaccinated, or people who have these other medical conditions. You, you just, you've got to work it out. And maybe that overflow facility is the way to go. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, this is anecdotal, but here's a text. Jeff, my daughter is an ER nurse in Oshkosh, in the Oshkosh area. She states that it is 100% unvaccinated on respiratory for her locations, 100%. Um, and so, I mean, which, of course, is, is consistent with you know, some of the stuff that's out there. And they say that if you're vaccinated and you're boosted, the, the virus doesn't tend to get into your lungs, unlike the, the most recent variation, the Omicron, unlike like Delta and um, the, the regular, the original COVID, which it gets into your lungs, and then that's what creates the problems. This other stuff, okay, maybe you get, a, you get sniffles or something like that. All right, now here's an interesting text that we got on this. Jeff, why have we picked COVID as to what we're going to discriminate people with? Let's bring back the good old-fashioned leper colonies if that's the case. To which my my response was that the problem here is that it's COVID causing the spike. And it, it's a spike that wouldn't be happening in all likelihood if more people chose to, to get vaccinated. Now, I'm not arguing unvaccinated should not be treated. I, I just I don't think that that's practical. But I do think that we have to recognize that we, we when, whether it's doing the triage or, or whatever, we do have to recognize that. All right. If you're making that decision to be unvaccinated, you are exposing yourself to greater risk. And I also and look, you can come up with all sorts of analogies. You could say to me and I'm a huge fan of seatbelts. Right. I mean, we've talked about this for the 20 five years that I've been doing a radio show in this market or actually a little bit more than that. I, I understand there's some people that hate to wear seatbelts. I don't get that because the truth of the matter is if you are wearing a seatbelt and you are in an automobile accident, the odds statistically of you walking away are so much greater. Now, look, I appreciate that people die in cars and you know, they're wearing seatbelts, but the odds the odds are so much greater that you will walk away from a crash as opposed to, to die if you're wearing a seatbelt. And that's because all the auto safety stuff is built around, you know, people wearing seatbelts. And if you're not wearing a seatbelt and you crash into something, you're going to be flying around that, uh, the, the auto, you're going to be flying around the, the uh, passenger's compartment of the car. And the, and you're, what you're going to do is you're going to hit your head on the windshield and all those different things, or you'll be thrown out of the car or whatever. It's one of the reasons why I firmly believe in seatbelts. But if you were to ask me, gee, Jeff, do you think that, um, you know, if there's a catastrophic automobile accident and you bring six people into the emergency room for treatment, do you treat the four that were wearing seatbelts before you treat the two that weren't? And, and my answer would be no. You you have to treat the person with the most serious injury. You have to do that that triage. And just because they made, in my opinion, the dumb decision not to, to wear a seatbelt, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't get medical care. And I guess that's the analogy that I keep coming back to. But at the same time, because there are COVID spikes, 
if these do in fact last long and really do overwhelm the system, you know, we, we've got to figure out a way to deal with that. And, and maybe the way to deal with that, again, is these overflow facilities. All right. I want to move on here. There, you know, we, we started off that last segment. I quoted the French president who was using some very, very strong language to talk about how he felt about the unvaccinated. I would use the same language to describe people who do this. You know, I told you a couple days ago about the, the vandals on New Year's Eve that set fire to the in Key West. If you've ever been to Key West, and that is one of my happy places, there's this big, giant concrete buoy that is at the southernmost part. It's the southernmost part of the United States, 90 miles to Cuba. People go and line up there, and they will stand for 15, 20 minutes waiting to get their picture taken there. New Year's Eve, these two yahoos go out. They grab a Christmas tree from the surrounding neighborhood that's apparently on the streets waiting to be picked up. They take it over to the buoy, they light it on fire, and they cause thousands of dollars of damage to this monument, just for the sake of causing damage. Here's the story related to that. Germantown police responded to a call about multiple people being shot, only to learn it was a swatting host. Uh, hoax. Swatting is where you, you call and you report a major crime that is going to get the SWAT team, quote unquote, responded to it. Here's what happened. 2 p.m. January 1st, Germantown police get a call reporting that multiple people had been shot at the Stillery restaurant and bar in Richfield, which, by the way, is a great restaurant and bar. So you get this call. Multiple people have been shot. Well, what happens is you know, I mean, you get this call that comes into the police department. You you have to what you do is you have to, like, respond to this. Uh, the Germantown Fire Department called a box alarm. Ambulances from Washington, Waukesha, and Ozaki counties were put on hold for a possible mass casualty. You know, the police respond, sirens and all that. Well, they get there, and it's all a hoax. A uh, detective followed up in an effort to determine where the call came from. It was traced to Rhode Island. So then we spend all this time and money as they check, okay, is it possible it was another bar? Did it go to all these other bars in Washington County? Did you have anything like this? Is there anything here? No, it was just a hoax that some idiot in Rhode Island decided it would be fun to just scare the bejeebers out of all sorts of people on New Year's Day, have the fire departments and the rescue squads mobilized, have the cops all mobilized. I just, this is why we can't have nice things. I do not understand why people think this is clever. And by the way, if they catch the person that did it, and I hope they do, this is one where you don't want to be coming in front of Judge Wagner, because if you are, you are not passing go, you are going to jail, and you're going to jail for a while. This is not a prank, and yet it passes for some idiot's idea of fun. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So, Aaron Rodgers decides he thinks he wants to play on Sunday. And I'm sure he, I'm sure he does. Athletes, you know, you, you, you put me in coach, you know, put me in and... I guess maybe there's some chances for some personal records for some of the players like Devontae Adams. I will say today what I said on Wednesday, on Monday, though. At some time, and I appreciate athletes want to play, but sometimes this is where coaches and general managers need to be the grown-ups. I think it would be absolutely insane to play any of the, the starters 
uh, on, on Sunday. I, I mean, the risk, the game is meaningless for all intents and purposes. Now, now maybe I understand Devontae Adams catches a couple passes for 25 yards and he sets the Packers receiving record. So I, I, I understand there's some individual records that might be out there. But at the same time, can you imagine a situation where you have a player like an Aaron Rodgers or a Devontae Adams who he's running that pass over the middle and some linebacker comes up and creams him and and takes out his knee or or whatever, and so he's lost for the the playoffs and a good portion of next year. Now, I I understand that there's always this risk of injury that can happen, but this is, for all intents and purposes, this is a meaningless game, why would you possibly take that risk? Now, I understood some, some some people say, well, you know, you, you, you want them to be sharp. Well, okay, they're, they're going to have a couple weeks off anyways. I mean, you're, you're certainly not going to play them an entire game or anything like that in a meaningless game and take the risk of injury. So, I mean, are, are they really going to be that much more game ready because, I don't know, they played a, a couple series, for goodness sakes? And, and keep in mind, you know, in the summer, that the, they, they didn't play. You didn't have Aaron Rodgers. He didn't play at all during the preseason. And some people might say, well, that's why they laid an egg in New Orleans opening night. I, I think it was much more complicated than that. I guess I just, I don't think you take the risk of having uh, an Aaron Rodgers injured or something like that. And, and look, and I understand injuries can happen in practice, but... Injuries are much more likely to happen where you've got some 300-pound defensive lineman who is rushing the quarterback with the idea that they want to cream him. So, no, if, if I'm the coach, this is the easiest decision in the world. Look, I appreciate you guys are competitors. I appreciate you want to play. But you know what? We're You're going to have a chance to, to play in a couple of weeks. Rest your toe. Rest all those nagging injuries that you've had over the course of the year. Take it easy. Relax. Work out. We'll do our practices, and then we'll see you in a couple weeks where the games really matter. Because this is a special team, and can you just imagine what happens if one of these players that you're really depending on to get you the Super Bowl gets hurt in a game that means absolutely nothing? Huh. I would not want to live with that. All right. Speaking of Aaron Rodgers, let us talk about the story that is on everybody's lips this morning. Hub Arkish, who has been on our air, he was, um, at least for a while, was was like a regular part of some of our Packers coverage. He's a, a veteran Chicago sports writer. He he did radio for the Chicago Bears for a while, and then he ended up getting blown out there. And so, you know, he's he's got a, he's on 670, the score down in, in Chicago, and, you know, he, he writes stuff and things like that. He does, he's one of the editors for some of these pro football things. So he is an opinionated and a, I think a reasonable knowledgeable sort of guy he clearly hates Aaron Rodgers no no question about it so that one of the big conversations is is Aaron Rodgers is he going to win his second consecutive MVP award most valuable player and the I think the general consensus is that yes he is he's I mean you look at where the Packers are and you know where would the Packers be without Aaron Rodgers I mean seriously you think they'd be 13 and 3 clinching the best record in the NFC no no way it it just would not happen and at the age of 38 Aaron Rodgers for all his flakiness and his foibles for all the controversy he created last summer, and we talked about this, I think, on Monday, for all the controversy that he created with his, you know, I, I might not be coming back, for everything that happened with regard to COVID, where Rogers gave what I think could fairly be described as a misleading answer with regard to, you know, whether he was vaccinated or not, for all that. 
There's no question that Aaron Rodgers has had an absolutely tremendous season. 35 touchdown passes, four interceptions. That just doesn't happen. I mean, that, that's just in, incredible. He's led the Packers to, you know, one victory after another. By any objective measure, I think he is clearly the most valuable player. Now, maybe you're going to disagree with that. Maybe you want to argue that, oh, so-and-so, if you look at Jonathan Taylor, the former Wisconsin running back, he, he's having a great season with Indianapolis. Or, you know, you look at what Tom Brady has done. Okay, if you want to argue about what other athletes have accomplished on the field, I, I'm willing to, to take to have that argument, although I think Aaron Rodgers, by any objective standard, is going to you know come out on top of that. But that's not what Hub Arkish says. Hub Arkish says, I'm not going to vote for him. I refuse to vote for him as MVP. I don't think you can be the biggest jerk in the league and punish your team and your organization and your fan base the way he did and be the most valuable player. He Has he been the most valuable on the field? Yeah, you could make that argument. But I don't think he's necessarily that more valuable than other people, so he's not going to be my choice. Do I think he's going to win it? Probably. A lot of voters don't approach it the way I do, but others who I've spoken to do. But one of the ways we get to keep being voters is we're not allowed to say who we're voting for until the award has been announced. I'm probably pushing the envelope by saying who I'm not voting for. We're really not supposed to reveal our votes. I just think the way he's carried himself is inappropriate. I think he's a bad guy, and I don't think a bad guy can be the most valuable guy at the same time. Arkish said off-the-field issues had a lot to do with his decision. Rogers, of course, is unvaccinated, spent 10 days on the COVID reserve list. He said there are no guidelines. We're told to pick the guy who we think is the most valuable to the team, and I don't think it says anywhere strictly on the field, although I do think he hurt his team on the field by the way he acted off the field. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I said yesterday that Aaron Rodgers was an incredible flake, all right? I stand by that, or two days ago. I think Hub Arkish is one of the biggest jerks that I have ever heard. To me, the mo- look, I, I, I never understood, I mean, in all this, this athletics and all this whole idea of, you know, most valuable player, I, I didn't see the criteria of, gee, I, I agree with what the guy has done, or I disagree with what the guy has done. What What is he saying? Gee, I'm a Democrat, so I, I know Aaron Rodgers might be a Republican, so I'm not going to vote for him here. Or, or gee, I, I don't like his position one way or the other on social justice issues or Black Lives Matter. So because he knelt, I'm not going to vote for him for most valuable player. Or because he didn't kneel, I'm not going to vote for him for most valuable player. 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. No Number one, Hub Arkish, I think, is completely out to lunch on this. And number two, if the rules say he is not supposed to reveal his his vote beforehand, maybe they should pull the vote from him. And number three, if this is the guy's thinking, well, maybe he shouldn't have a vote in the first place. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If Aaron Rodgers is the most valuable player, as you wanted to find that, on the football field, all right, does the fact that he chose not to get vaccinated, does the fact that he whined about not having enough control over the Packers, as long as he delivers on the field, shouldn't that be the criteria? 855-616-1620, we discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
855-616-1620. Jeff, so by your logic, Antonio Brown, the guy who walked off the field with Tampa, should still be eligible for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If yes, when do we stop rewarding bad behavior? To which my response was, yeah, I think Antonio Brown will get serious consideration for the Hall of Fame based on on his career. Now, the, the career I is... I mean, I don't know. You'd like to think it's over after the guy walks out on, on the team in, in the middle of the year. But but if if Aaron Rodgers had walked out and quit on the team like Antonio Brown did, well, may, yes, would I say she should be the most valuable player for the season? Well, well, no, but that's not what Aaron Rodgers did. Aaron Rodgers has had an MVP season. And by the way, it's MVP, it's most valuable player. It's not MVC, which is most valuable citizen. I... I I get that he's flaky. I understand. I was as critical as anybody of him about some of the shenanigans that he pulled in the summer and what I think were the misleading statements, you know, with regard to COVID vaccinations. But that doesn't change the fact that he's had one heck of a season. And is there any team in the National Football League whose success was more related to a particular player than than Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I mean, seriously, you take Aaron Rodgers off that team, and and, and what are the Packers? If if Jordan Love is quarterbacking them, maybe, maybe they're eight and eight right now. Maybe, probably a lot worse than that. No, the guy is clearly the most valuable player, and I'm sorry that the Chicago sports writer doesn't like him and think he's a jerk. That doesn't change anything. There's lots of jerks in professional sports. But they're still incredibly talented. Is that now going to be the criteria? Well, I, I I disagree with this person's stance on this particular thing, or I don't think they should have criticized that, so I'm going to ignore what they do on the field. Give me a break. Uh, Jared in Waukesha. Jared, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Good. What do you think? I, I, I think it's pretty simple. It's MVP, like you were saying. It's his performance on the field. That's why they have other awards. Um, right. I think it's the Walter Payton Award. Yeah. Right. They give out that for your your citizenship. Your yeah, off the field. Yeah. So I, Aaron Rodgers is a jerk, but it doesn't matter. It's his performance on the field. So yes, he should be MVP this year, or Jonathan Taylor, and that's the way I look at it. Well, well, right. I mean, and and if you want to make an argument that okay, Jonathan Taylor is more valuable to the Indianapolis Colts than Aaron Rodgers is the Packers. Oh, okay, I, I I leave that to the sports writers who know a lot more about sports than I do. But but yeah, that's not exactly. but that's not what he's saying. He's saying I don't like him and I think he's a jerk and I think he did this and that and the other thing and so I'm not going to vote for him. Well, I think the answer is pull the guy's yeah. vote. You know. <laughs> now thanks yeah, for the call. You don't have you don't have to vote for him for his stuff off the field. It's his performance on the field. MVP. Absolutely not MVC. Not not most valuable um, citizen. Jeff, would you take the same position on Ryan Braun and the Baseball Hall of Fame? Or, okay, here, 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 there is a difference. Um, I think, and, and let, let's move away from, let's move away from Braun for a second, but let's talk about some of the other baseball players who, um, like the Sammy Sosas of the world, who um, aren't in the, uh, Barry Bonds, who aren't in the, um, the hall, Sosa for sure, who aren't in the Hall of Fame because of the steroid scandal. No, that's that's different. I, I mean, the reason 
the reason why Ryan Braun found himself as such a subject of controversy, and he's not getting anywhere near the Baseball Hall of Fame, is because he was caught cheating and lying about it, and it had direct relation to his performance while playing games. If Aaron Rodgers, for example, if the controversy about Aaron Rodgers was, well, we, we've just determined that he's using all these performance-enhancing drugs that are banned, et cetera, et cetera, and, and we question because of that, and then he lied about the use of those things, and, and clearly it enhanced his ability. So now there's a question as to how legitimate some of the numbers he put up were. Well, that's a whole different story. But but that's not what this is. This is, gee, I don't like some of the things he's saying. I think he's a jerk. I think he's a flake or whatever. But it has nothing at all. Rogers' comments have nothing at all to do with his on-field performance. I mean, it, it is the equivalent of saying... Let's say Aaron Rodgers comes out and says, you know what? I think Donald Trump is the greatest thing since canned beer. I hope Donald Trump runs for re-election, for election again in, in 2024. And you know what? I think that we need to take some really tough looks at the 2020 election. Let, let's say he says all that. All right. And, and then you go, oh my God, what a jerk. I can't believe anybody would be believing these things. I'm not going to, I'm not going to vote for him because I, I think he's wrong politically. Well, isn't that the same sort of thing? And do you really want to get go down that rabbit hole where you have these sports writers, many of whom are overpaid and underworked, who sit there and say, well, I just don't like what this guy particularly said, or I, I didn't like the way he handled it, or I didn't like the fact that, you know, he, he's arguing for treatments other than vaccines, and I, I just I turn up my nose at, at that, and so that, that's being a jerk, and so I don't think I can support it. That's exactly what this jerk in Chicago is doing. So, yeah, I, I, I hope, actually, they take the vote away from him for violating the various rules, and um, I understand some of these times people do this to be provocative, and I get that, you know, the Bears have been woeful for so long and that, you know, Aaron Rodgers antagonizes Bear fans and the loyalists among the sports writers by the stuff saying, I own the Bears and things like that. But, all right, actions have consequences, and if Hub Arkish decides that this is what he wants to play by and he wants to violate the rules, well, maybe what you do is you take the guy's vote away from him. That would seem to me to be an appropriate response. Back with more in just a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, here is a very interesting question posed by one of our texters. And the question is sort of, well, Jeff, if you think it's like on the field stuff, how about Pete Rose? You know, what what do you think about Pete Rose? And and I, I think that's really interesting because Pete Rose, of course, one of the greatest baseball players of all time. There, there's no question about it. After he retired, and Pete Rose was kind of a jerk, but after he retired, um, he was, as a manager of the Reds, he got in trouble because he was betting on baseball, which is a big no-no, and, you know, he, he ended up lying about it. So, I mean, here's the deal. Pete Rose has been banned from baseball because of ba- gambling. He's got a permanent ban. And the Hall of Fame rules say that people banned from baseball are not eligible. So, Pete Rose is not eligible for the Hall of Fame. If he's ever reinstated, though, I I do think the Hall of Fame becomes an interesting discussion. Do you look at what the guy did during his career, and does that make him eligible for the Hall of Fame? And it would be a no-brainer if it weren't for the suspension and and the ban. I don't see them lifting the ban anytime soon, though. But Pete Rose, it's it's an interesting question. I just think it's it's apples and oranges compared to, say, Aaron Rodgers. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
You know, I, I had to laugh. There, if, if, if you've been watching the news, you've seen just this absolute mess with the big snowstorm that hit the, the kind of Washington, D.C., northern Virginia area. And, and I've told the story before. It, it's just that that region is not equipped to deal with large snowfalls. It's just not, and it paralyzes the, the area. Now, the good thing is you get these bad snowfalls, but typically the temperature will warm up and a lot of the snow disappears in a couple of days. So that's one of the reasons why it's unlike here, where if you get a 12-inch snowfall, you, you've got to get it cleared off. You've got to get it cleared off quickly, or else it's, it's not going to be going anywhere till, you know April rolls around. But, but D.C. is different because it tends to be warmer and things like that. Well, anyhow, you know, D.C. got Whumped, just absolutely whumped, and, and the surrounding area got absolutely whumped by one of these big storms that was was moving through the area. And you've probably seen the stories about how hundreds of people were trapped on I ninety five because they they the, they just ended up getting snowed in. The plows couldn't get to them, and you had all these cars. There were people that were stranded, and they ended up having to spend the night on the highway. As as an aside, just an aside. And I understand that there's some of you out there who, whenever I talk about electric cars you you just oh jeff you're just a luddite don't you realize that everybody should be driving an electric car can you imagine as bad as it was a couple days ago with all these people stuck you know in their cars can you imagine how bad it would be if these were electric cars where the batteries drain a lot quicker in cold conditions and things like that as bad as it was it would have been dramatically worse with electric vehicles and things of the like but anyway here's the deal so you have these people who are just stranded on i-95 and there's all sorts of people that are just angry about this what a failure of the government well sometimes you know, sometimes Mother Nature just wins out. And, and maybe the, the better argument would be, is it fair to blame the government? Or when you're told that there's going to be this monster snowstorm moving through, maybe does that mean that you, you shouldn't go out on the roads, especially since you know, if you live in some of these climates, that they don't do snow well like we do here. Well, anyhow, you, you get it was it was a mess. And there's all sorts of people that end up wanting to blame government. Well, here's the thing. All these critics... You know, go on television. I'm looking at a number of tweets and stuff, generally from the left. And you know what they're doing? They're they're blaming, they're blaming the new governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin. Remember, Glenn Youngkin was the guy who uh, I think surprised a lot of people by winning the the seat from uh, the the Democrat. And this was a a big deal, and it was, I think, demonstrates some of the problems that Democrats are going to have moving into the midterm. But so all this is, I'm looking at text. Critics call it not a good start for Youngkin. Does Virginia's new governor, Youngkin, know that people have been stranded on I-95 for fifth hours. Um, another pundit, if I were Glenn Youngkin, I'd be flooding the zone trying to, you know, get people out of their cars, all of which, you know, to the extent that you believe that a governor is responsible for for what happens, you know, with Mother Nature. I mean, I guess they're, they're perhaps fair comments. Yeah, Tony Evers can't believe that he let the state highway patrol, the state highways get so out of control. Oh, OK, maybe, maybe it's a fair argument. Except one thing, Glenn Youngkin isn't the governor of Virginia yet. He's the governor-elect. He doesn't take over until the middle of the month. Doesn't take office until January 15th. So all these people are just so inclined and they're in such a rush to kind of like hate on Glenn Youngkin that, oh, this is it, this is what a mess. This is Republican leadership just driving Virginia down the toilet. Oh, he hasn't taken over yet. Well, Well, kind of 
you know, never mind. It's sort of like a variation of, of what is going on with, with COVID. And when, when, when Joe Biden ran for office, Joe Biden and a bunch of the Democrats, they ran based on what they perceived was the failure of Donald Trump to deal with, with COVID. We, we didn't handle it. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And remember last March, Biden, I'm going to famous, I'm going to stop COVID. Well, okay. Now, you know, a, a year into office, it's apparent that the Biden administration has been a complete failure as well when it comes to dealing with COVID. In other words, I understand the issues have changed, but COVID, to the extent you can say it was in the control, if you want to say like Trump had control of some stuff, well, okay, that's fair enough. And if you want to say he failed to control it, well, then you also say Biden failed to control it as well. And that's one of the things that's giving Biden a huge degree of trouble because he built up expectations. I'm going to be the I'm going to be the anti-Trump. I'm going to be the guy that solves this problem. And now we're looking at a problem that, at least in the short term, is arguably worse than it was under Donald Trump. Arguably. Now, I happen to think that this matter is going to kind of sort itself out over the next couple months, but that that's just me. But it is kind of funny that, oh, you know, all these people out there who were blaming Trump for this or Trump for the lack of response, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there's some fair criticism to go around. Where Where is that criticism of Joe Biden for not having anywhere near enough tests? I mean, that's part of the thing. If we now think testing is the way out of it, where, where are all the tests and where are the affordable tests and why were they asleep at the switch? Again, it's the double standards that I think are interesting. When we come back, it's a business success. It's coming to an area on the North Shore. Why is this business so successful? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. As regular listeners know, I, I grew up in Glendale, went to Nicolet High School, and that one of the hangouts we had when I was in high school, Port Washington Road. Ah, there, there was there was a Mark's Big Boy, and there was it, it's now where the Cops is. If you can picture that area south of Silver Spring and north of Hampton, there was the it was called the Milky Way Drive-in, which is now it's, that's where Cops is, and there was a Big Boy, and then. A little bit to the south of that, there was a restaurant called Barnaby's. Now, I've talked about Barnaby's before. Barnaby's was kind of a chain pizza place where um, – and it was one of my high school hangouts. And it was – you know, all, almost all the Barnaby's are gone now. There's only two left in northern Illinois. And my brother and I, we, we visited that – Oh, a few years ago, we, we took his kids and stuff. And I, I remember we were just talking about how great the Barnabys was. We went into this one by the Arlington Park racetrack, and, and it was like stepping into 1973. And unfortunately, it's kind of disappointing because the decor hadn't changed since 1973. The booths were the same size as they probably were in 1973, which meant that they didn't fit my brother and I like we did back then. And the, the food, I remember the kids, we ordered the pizzas and stuff, and the kids are kind of looking at us going, okay, this is what you guys have been talking about so much and candidly when i sort of tasted it maybe my tastes have changed over the years as well but just another one of these childhood memories kind of shattered but anyhow the barnabys went away and that location on port washington road has been many different things over the years most recently it's been this clinic of cosmetic surgery 5201 north port washington road well i why are we talking about this well because that 
that's going to be that space is going to be a restaurant uh, again because Chick-fil-A is now coming to to Glendale. What they're going to do is they're going to um, demolish, raise that that building, and they're going to build a Chick-fil-A there. Now, interestingly, the Chick-fil-A that they're building is not going to have indoor seating. It's going to be exclusively drive-through, 2,800-square-foot freestanding restaurant, dual drive-through lanes, 38-stall parking lot. No outdoor seating, no indoor seating. So it's exclusively drive-through, and I, I think it's going to be... I think probably a huge success. Now, what intrigues me about this is Chick-fil-A has been wanting to go into Glendale for a while. Uh, Chick-fil-A has been in Wisconsin for, eh, I want to say maybe 10 years, because I remember when the first location came in in Brookfield. Chick-fil-A is is an incredible success. Um, Sometime... Sometime between Christmas and New Year, I know we were we had driven out to to Pewaukee, where um, my my stepdaughter Amy lives with her husband Chris and our grandchildren Robin and Addison, and we were driving back, and it's it, it's like eight or eight thirty at night, it's something like that, and this is over like the holiday weekend, and the line at the Chick Fil A in Brookfield, the drive through, the the line it it's it's like. I think that they've got at least two lanes. They might have more. And both lanes are filled. And it snakes all the way through the parking lot and, and then back out. And it's starting to back out on the street. And this is like 7 or 8.30 at night or something like that. And I'm going, my God, these people are lined up, you know, for fast food, you know, chicken sandwiches. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Chick-fil-A. Don't go there very often. I try not to eat fast food very much anymore. But, I mean, I enjoy the Chick-fil-A sandwiches and things like that. And obviously, I'm not alone because if you drove by that Chick-fil-A in Brookfield, you would have seen just incredible lines. There's also a Chick-fil-A, I believe, in Oak Creek. I haven't been to that one yet, but I'm told that I think that's incredibly successful as well. And I think this one in Glendale is going to be successful because when Chick-fil-A comes to an area, people follow. Now, a week or so ago, we talked about Quick Trip, which was opening its eighth, 800th store um, I think it's this week or maybe they did it last Thursday up in the lacrosse area. And we talked about what an incredible success story that, that Quick Trip was, the way they, they have grown over the years, grown over the years and how people love them. I put Chick-fil-A in that same sort of category. And at least I, I think a lot of other people do as well. Fast food restaurants come, fast food restaurants go. Some are really, really hot for a little while, and then they end up fading. Others have staying power. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I want to I talk about Chick-fil-A. What is the secret of its success? And if you are a Chick-fil-A fan, I, I'd be d- delighted to discuss it with you because something that they are doing, whatever they're doing, they are in general doing Right. I mean, they're they're not as big as McDonald's. They're not as big as Burger King, but they are incredibly, incredibly successful. And my guess is they're going to continue to be successful in Wisconsin with this latest location. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is the secret? We discuss in a moment. 
Yeah, I mentioned I wasn't sure what day. I, I drove by the Chick-fil-A in Brookfield coming back from Pewaukee. But I, I will tell you, I, I know it wasn't Sunday because Chick-fil-A is closed on, on Sundays. 855-616-1620. New one coming to Glendale. I think it's going to be an incredible success. Pretty much everything the Chick-fil-A franchise touches you know, turns into a success. What do they do that attracts people so much? Tim and Hartland. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon. Hi, Tim. I'm I'm kind of a I'm kind of a French fry guy, and when I go to Chick Fil A, like I did today, and they got waffle fries and they're great. They're hot, <laughs> right? Every single time, they're hot, not cold, not lukewarm, and even like some restaurant that's advertising they're the best fries that are McDonald's now. I went and tried that out, and they were lukewarm and soggy. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I mean, thank, well, you know, no, well, thank, well, you know, I, I think one of the things, and this is one of the keys, is that Chick-fil-A, unlike a, a lot of places that keep expanding their menu, Chick-fil-A has always had a limited menu. They, compared to like a lot of the other fast food places, what they do, they do incredibly well. They're able to, you're talking about like it, it being hot and stuff like this. Yeah, they're, they're very good at that. They've got this sort of limited menu. And, and what's happening is the stuff they do, they do great. And so you're, you, you might be in line for a while waiting to get your order taken. But once your order's taken, boom, you're going to be served quickly. You know that there is going to be this consistency that's there. And you, you know, in general, like I say, once you've made the order, you're not going to have to wait. You might be in line behind 10 other cars, but I think they do a great job of moving things through. All right, here's some text. Jeff, I think Chick-fil-A, fast, friendly, and fresh. That's great. Um, Jeff, I think they hire quality people. My sense is that it's the, they're just the best workers. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I do service for a company that deals with Chick-fil-A. Their success is because they are very organized. The workers are of the highest quality for fast food. Um, I also do service for many other companies, fast food restaurants. I have to tell you, there is nothing that compares to Chick-fil-A that's out there. Um, Jeff, they have their drive-through service run like a well-oiled machine, no matter how many cars they have. It just keeps moving, and I always feel I'm eating healthier than stopping at McDonald's. Jeff, it's pretty simple in my opinion. They do one thing, and that's chicken, and they do it extremely well. I also think it helps that they offer some healthier options like grilled nuggets and grilled chicken sandwiches. I think that's an element, too. But, right, they concentrate on on their basic business. Jeff, one of the secrets of Chick-fil-A is that they take care of their employees. Happy employees equals successful business equals happy customers. Um, no, no question uh, about it. Jeff, I love it because the food is simply great. Um, no question about it. Um, Jeff, I took my father to the hospital for a procedure, and afterwards we went to Chick-fil-A, and it was simply pouring rain. They were super busy in the drive through They had people in zip-up bubble-like things taking orders. Our food was amazing, and the order was right on. See, that, that that's it. When, when you go for a fast food place, what, what do you want? First of all, you want it to be fast. Secondly, you want them to get the order right. And third, you want it to be good. That, that, that's it. And, and they do it. Um, Jeff, even though the drive through lanes are busy, they move extremely quickly. And I think there's, you know, an element of that. Yeah, the Brookfield, somebody points out, the Brookfield location offered, opened in 2014, which is kind of, you know, what my recollection was 
Um, let's see. Chick-fil-A is syn- – oh, there's a couple people that are out there that are haters because it, it's a Christian-based company. Chick-fil-A is synonymous with hate. I do not eat there. Well, that, that's okay. You know, people get to have their individual choices, but for every one of the people that are haters out there, there's a lot more people that are sitting in lines, you know, going through the drive-through in that situation. Uh, look, uh, Chick-fil-A, people just absolutely love it. So I think, you know, if you just look at what they're doing and you look at how Chick-fil-A is doing stuff, you look at how Quick Trip is doing stuff, it's kind of a model, I think, for other businesses moving forward. So the latest development, Chick-fil-A coming to Glendale, my prediction is it's going to be an incredible success you know, be prepared for lines, you know, kind of, kind of onto Port Washington Road. Back with more in just a couple minutes. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, a couple updates. Hub Arkish, who is the bozo from Chicago who decided that he wasn't going to vote for Aaron Rodgers, his most valuable player, because he thinks Aaron Rodgers is a jerk. All right. Um, he, he's now out with another statement. Now, this is kind of interesting, and it would probably be befitting somebody like Hub Arkish. He says one. Uh, here, here's what he said. He said, look, um, I made a mistake. I made a big mistake um, as far as what happened last night. It's on me. I screwed up. His mistake is that he made the error was in disclosing how he plans to vote to the public. So, so, and of course that that's against the rules. You're not supposed to if you're one of these sports writers that have the MVP vote. So it's interesting. It's not. Gee, I made a mistake because I said I wasn't going to vote for Aaron Rodgers because even though he's the most valuable player on the field, I just don't like him. So that's not the mistake. The mistake was I told everybody what I was going to do. Well, sorry, no no sympathy here, and I think if the football writers, if they pulled his vote this year and moving forward, it would be a very, very positive thing. What a bozo. All right, the other follow-up. I've been telling you over the last week or so ago, a week or so, about the, this controversy involving Brandon Brown. He's the, the NASCAR driver, and everybody knows the story by now. Last October, he wins a race, and they're interviewing him like on NBC or something after the race, and the, the crowd in the back is chanting, blank, you, Biden. All right, but they're not saying blank. They're saying the bad word that's out there, and it's going out all over the air, and the, the crowd is chanting that. So after the interview gets done, one of the NBC reporters, instead of just acknowledging what happens, they, they go on and they say, oh, the crowd was chanting, let's go, Brandon. Well, the crowd wasn't chanting, let's go, Brandon. But so let's go, Brandon has become the, this meme for, you know, blank you, Joe Biden, blank you, Biden. So anyhow, it's 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 kind of taken on this life of its own. Well, what happens is um, there's a there's a, a cryptocurrency outfit, and there's like thirteen different thirteen thousand different kinds of of crypto coin. And if, if you've listened to this program, you you know I'm. I'm not a big believer in this. I think it's kind of a giant Ponzi scheme. But all right, you know, fools and their money are soon parted. And if you want to invest in it, go ahead and invest in it. But it's this outfit called LGB Coin, which is a near valueless cryptocurrency. So what what they do is they say, okay, we we want to sponsor 
this this driver, Brandon Brown. And what we want to do is we want to sponsor him and we want to put Let's Go Brandon on the side of his car. Well, okay, NASCAR, and th- this would be, you know, generating revenue and things like this. NASCAR has now moved in and saying that, okay, e- even though we, we approved this originally, we're now having second thoughts about it because, well, you've got some of the politically incorrect people out there who don't like this. And so they said, well, yesterday afternoon they looked at it and they've decided, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to take it. We're not going to accept it. We have changed our mind because, well, gee, we don't want some people to be offended by the whole notion of let's go Brandon. Now, NASCAR gets to do what they get to do. I mean, it's their, they can decide what sponsorships they want, what sponsorships they don't. I do find myself amused at the outrage about, that some people have about this, given all the things that were said about Donald Trump that were a lot cruder than let's go Brandon, and all the things that the left said about George W. Bush, for example, in 2003 and 2004, that were a lot cruder than let's go Brandon. But I guess, you know, it's sort of like situational as to what is going to offend you or not. All right, I sent out a tweet about this yesterday. You can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. The... We collectively were outraged after the mass homicide situation at the Waukesha Christmas Parade, where you had the career criminal out on a stupid low bail who drove his car into the parade route, killed six people, injured dozens and dozens and dozens of more, and then, you know, tried to tried to run away from it before being apprehended. And then it all comes out that this guy is just a lengthy criminal record. No way he should have been out. John Chisholm, the very, very progressive, read, liberal, read, soft on crime district attorney in Milwaukee, comes out and says, yes, we, we really screwed up in this regard. But what Chisholm was trying to do, that you can't let him get away with, is he was trying to portray this as a one-off sort of situation. And the point that I've been trying to make and a number of commentators have been making is that this isn't a one-off thing. It's one-off to the extent that you have the the one guy out on the ridiculously low bail that kills six people and and injures dozens and dozens. But it's not one-off in that there are all sorts of people, dangerous people, who are out on ridiculously low bails who are committing crimes day after day after day, and because they don't kill six people, it doesn't make the the news. But it's one of the reasons why I firmly believe that, you know, well, John Chisholm, there's no way if he runs again he gets reelected, and candidly, the, the policies have been such a complete and total failure that the only right thing to do would be to resign. Well, here's another one of those examples. Um, here's the deal. Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Let me share this story with you. A Milwaukee man has been charged in the beating death of his girlfriend at his junk car business on December 27th. Dennis Curaz, 44, called police to his auto recycling business, A1 Junk Cars, 4900 North 32nd Street, and said he and the victim had been attacked by robbers. He later admitted he suspected his girlfriend and son were secretly steering away business to their own operation, according to the criminal complaint. The girlfriend, her name, Amanda Dukarami, D-U-C-H-A-R-M-E, apologize for butchering that, uh, 
Dukarami was found in the bathroom, part of an apartment located within the same building with extensive head injuries. Karaz, that's the owner of the junkyard, told police he had struck her repeatedly with a concrete-bottomed rodent trap. So he bludgeoned this woman to death. Okay, well, that, that's, that's terrible. And you say, okay, Jeff, but why, why, what's the story here? You know, what's the problem? You know, yes, he, she's obviously dead. You know, people, we had almost 200 people that were victim of homicides in Milwaukee. What, what does this tie in with the Waukesha Christmas Parade? Well, here's the dazzling detail. At the time of the murder, Karaz was out on bail in an April case in which he was charged with domestic violence against the same woman and with having a gun as a felon. He was not to have contact with her. So he's out on bail from a case last April in which he was charged with domestic violence. And by the way, he's a felon and he's got in possession of a firearm. He's out on bail with a no contact order that is not worth the paper it is printed on. Would you like to guess the amount of bail? All right, now, I, I want you to just kind of think through this as you're listening to this, driving your car, sitting at your desk at work, sitting in your kitchen at home. Now, think about this. You've got a guy who is, I don't know the full extent of his prior record, but you know he is a felon. You know he's a felon because he's charged in April with, as a felon, having a gun. All right? He's charged with domestic violence against a woman. His bail No, no, and no. He was out on $250 bail in the April case. $250. Okay, it gets, it gets worse. Apparently, um, she goes to the authorities and she says, look, I'm in, in fear of my life. Because he's told me that um, if if he ever gets put in jail, he would kill her. So he's threatened to kill her, you know, if she essentially comes forward and testifies against him. It gets even worse. Notes in the case, according to the Journal Sentinel, indicate that in addition to the stupid low bail that is set on this guy, um, also... He was supposed to have a GPS tracking bracelet while out on on bail. All right. So the idea is, okay, we're going to let him out on this stupid low bail that nobody in their right mind would think would be appropriate. But we're we're at least we're going to have a GPS tracking device on him. So maybe maybe if he ends up somewhere he's not supposed to be, maybe we at least if somebody's paying attention to this, we'll, we'll get an indication of it. All right. However, He never got the GPS tracking device. The story is, with more defendants out longer in trials, there's been a shortage of the devices. Uh, Milwaukee County Chief Judge Mary Trigiano said more than 120 people are on a waiting list for electronic monitoring and that he was among them. So... (laughs) They decide to give him the stupid low bail of $250 on the condition that we're also going to have this GPS bracelet, which, by the way, is is useless, too. But they don't even have the GPS bracelet. So they still let him out on the $250 bond. And now, surprise follows surprise, a woman is dead. A woman that he said he was going to kill 
if he was out and he thought there was a chance that he was going to jail. Now, facing a charge of first-degree intentional homicide, he is being held at the Milwaukee County Jail with a bail set at 250000 If he could post that amount, he would be subject to electronic monitoring. Oh, for the love of God, give me a break. If there were still no available GPS bracelets, he would have to post $275,000 to bail him out. This is what is happening in a daily basis in, in this community. And it's not a failure of the cops. Cops catch the people. It is a complete and total breakdown of the court system and the DA's office, which lets dangerous people out on stupid low bails to commit crimes over and over again. I, I ask this rhetorically, and I will continue to ask it. How many people have to die How many more people have to die because people who have been locked up are let or should be locked up are let out on ridiculously low bail situations? I mean, you know, seriously, how many more of this is going to happen? And and why do we tolerate this? Now, I sent out a tweet. If you want to see a link to the story, you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. But, I mean, here's the take. It just gets worse and worse. Like I said a couple weeks ago, this is the tip of the iceberg. This is this is not an atypical sort of situation. This is what is happening on a regular basis. There's no question in my mind he's not going to, but John Chisholm, if he had any sense of decency, would resign immediately, and truthfully, he should be quickly followed out the door by some Milwaukee County judges, not all, but some who have fostered, who have essentially given up their independence. They want to curry favor with the public defender's office. They want to curry favor with the district attorney's office. And what they do is they subvert their own judgment and say, okay, well, I want to be popular with the defense bar. I want to be popular with the DA's office. Ah, you want a stupid low bail? Okay, I'm going to set a stupid low bail. Oh, somebody else died? Well, that's just too bad. Well, it is too bad. It is preventable. It is another example of where the system has completely and totally failed. And the only way this is going to change is you get new district attorneys in who have a tough on crime approach and are more concerned with keeping people safe than they are with going to New York City and getting awards for progressive policies and judges who step up and say, you know, we're going to take control of this community again. Another example, ridiculously low bail and somebody is dead. How many more of these cases have to happen? Because I will tell you, I think this is just, as I've said before, it's the tip of the iceberg. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. number of people are texting in. What was the name of the guy who was out on bail and has now allegedly killed his girlfriend in violation of... Well, first of all, you're not allowed to murder people, but also he's out on bail after being charged with the, on a $250 bail after being charged with domestic violence and being a felon in possession of a firearm. And this, this is, of course, the biggest joke of all. You know, whenever you have these domestic violence cases, it's, well, you're not supposed to have any contact with the, the victim here. Yeah, right. Well, after this happens, again, apparently he does have contact. He says, if you do anything to send me to jail, I'm going to kill you. And then he does go ahead, if the allegations are correct, and bludgeons her to death. The defendant in this case, and again, he's just been charged. People are innocent until proven guilty. But according to the Journal Sentinel story, he admitted that he repeatedly struck her with a concrete-bottomed rodent trap. Um, his name is Dennis 
Kuraz, K-U-R-A-S-Z, 44 years old. He is the owner of his auto recycling business, is A1 Junk Cars on North 32nd Street. Um, my, my guess is, my guess is he's not going to be at the business anytime soon. That's just kind of my guess on this. It, you know, we are now in 2022, and I understand that there's some people who don't want to even think about politics, or maybe, maybe you're so sick of COVID that you do want to even think about politics. Big, big election year. Um, in April, of course, you're going to have the, the mayor's race. And as we talk about frequently in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee in particular, it, it don't change mayors very often. So the odds would be what over the last hundred years, there have been eight mayors and, and two of them served for two years or less. So it's essentially six years, six mayors in a hundred years. So that, that tells you whoever wins is probably going to be there for quite a while. So you've got that race coming up. You've got the Wisconsin governor's race coming up. You've got the U.S. Senate race if Ron Johnson runs again. My sources tell me he's planning to do that. And then you'll have a number of challenges that are out there as well. But but the overriding thing that's really kind of the giant cloud that, that looms over the 2022 midterm elections is Joe Biden. In 2018, it was a wave year for Democrats. Not necessarily, I think, because people, oh, love the Democratic policies that were out there, but instead it was because there were a lot of people who really did not like Donald Trump, and they were motivated to run out to the polls to vote against anybody that had an R after their name. I continue to believe that the only reason... Scott Walker lost to Tony Evers wasn't because people were thrilled with Tony Evers. It was because people were dissatisfied, or at least a lot of people, particularly in Madison and in Milwaukee, dissatisfied with um, Donald Trump, and they ran out to vote against Scott Walker. The Democrats strategically also had uh, legalized pot referendums on the ballot. It was just advisory, but it was designed to turn out voters in some heavily Democratic areas, and they were hoping that the people who were going to vote to legalize pot were also going to vote for Tony Evers, and it ended up working out. So you, you had that Trump factor that I think colored, for example, certainly the governor's race. Well, this year, four years later, the the pendulum has swung. With the exception of President Trump, Joe Biden has the lowest approval ratings at this stage of his presidency as anybody except for Donald Trump. The new Real, Real Clear Politics average, 54% of Americans disapprove of the job he is doing only 42% approve of the job he's doing. Now, I understand it's early and things can turn around, but you look at the, the mess that's happened with the border, the mess that happened with Afghanistan, the fact that inflation is going through the roof, and the fact that you're in a situation where COVID, at least at this point in time, is not under control at all, and, and you understand why these numbers are so bad. So whenever you're starting to try to analyze and handicap and figure out what's going to happen in these political races, keep in mind you've got the specter of the, in this case, the, the black cloud of bad news that right now is Joe Biden. Can it turn around? Yes. Will it turn around? Well, stay tuned. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure and Melissa Barkley have on their mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.